Utilization management programs often zero in on patients either with chronic illnesses such as diabetes, congestive heart failure, asthma, depression, or those patients that use a higher than expected amount of health care services. Might there be another way? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jim Rohrer. Dr. Rohrer is Professor of Family Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. His research focuses on self-rated assessment of health and obesity. He is interested in how to help primary care patients achieve behavior change. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Dr. Rohrer, tell us about your work studying utilization patterns. Well, we in family medicine have been evaluating our practice more systematically in the last couple of years. Most of the studies have analyzed a database of several hundred records that we've manually abstracted from our electronic medical record. One of the performance variables that's interested us is the number of medical visits that patients demand and use. And one of the risk factors that interests us is obesity. So we put those two together and came up with a study that was recently published in Disease Management and Health Outcomes. And what did you find? Patients with body mass index over 35 had greater odds of being in the top 25% when it comes to medical visits. That's in comparison to people with normal weight, meaning BMI less than 25. The overweight and slightly obese patients were not significantly different from lighter weight people. These relationships are independent of the number of medical comorbidities that the patients have, and we also adjusted for age, gender, and marital status. Oh. So these aren't morbidly obese patients necessarily. Well, in our sample, we included people who are at all different levels within body mass index. BMI over 35 is not the lowest level of morbidity, but it sort of starts in the middle range of uh, obesity and continues on up to the highest ranges. So in a nutshell, our findings show that people who are overweight and just slightly obese were not significantly different from the normal weight people in terms of the amount of medical visits they were consuming. Now, do we have a sense on why the heavier BMI patients do use more resources? Well, the literature on obesity has shown that it's a risk factor for a number of chronic ailments. You know, we adjusted for the level of medical complexity with our comorbidity index. One of the things that we're going to pursue more closely is the issue of pain as a consequence of obesity, and people who have more pains obviously are going to be making more demands on the medical care system. People uh, often develop knee problems, uh, of course, the risk of, of diabetes and heart disease. All kinds of early-stage chronic disease begins to appear when people have been overweight or obese for several years. So what we believe is happening here is that the underlying driver for utilization is the, is the risk factor obesity, which then leads to uh, prehypertension, prediabetes, and, and these other problems. Now, how might your findings be relevant in terms of designing uh, future utilization management programs? Well, as you mentioned in your introduction, a lot of programs are focused on particular chronic diseases. For example, you might have a diabetes disease management program where the whoever's doing the managing, probably an insurance company, identifies all the patients with diabetes listed in the diagnoses and then perhaps prioritizes them based on their A1Cs if they can get that information easily. And then they will um, have possibly a nurse case manager call them up and try to encourage them to be compliant with their medications and do their exercise and eat right and so on. What we're suggesting is there might be another way. Perhaps the selection criterion for care management or case management might be obesity. 
since it's an underlying risk factor for a number of chronic diseases, then what we would do is encourage healthcare system, the particular medical clinics and the third-party payers to offer an array of obesity management programs, or maybe we should call them weight management programs, with a variety of choices so that patients uh, can pick something that appeals to them and uh, maybe will help them get that under control before they're in need of disease management. Now, are third-party payers currently charging premiums based on weight? It seems like a logical step if they're not. Oh, well, no, there's a hot button. <laughs> <laughs> Shame on you. Uh, well, if smokers have to pay more, it seems only fair. If you're utilizing more resources, you'd have to pay more. That assumes that everything's under the control of the individual, which comes dangerously close to blaming the victim. And the other side of this also, from my point of view, is I would rather approach it in a more positive way. When when we find an individual with a perfectly healthy lifestyle, we should give them a discount. The person who does not smoke, they don't overeat, they exercise enough, their spiritual life is perfect, and they have wonderful relationships. <laughs> Until we've got them, I would So that's two people, out. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So singling out the people with a visible health problem runs dangerously close to some kind of discrimination, don't you think? Right, but uh, giving healthy people a discount is really the same thing, isn't it? You're just framing it in a nicer way. Yeah, I'm just (laughs) trying to uh, point out that there aren't any people that I've ever met with a perfectly healthy lifestyle. Mm. So uh, I think there are two, we decided, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, at least two, probably. (laughs) Now, Jim, of course, most of our listeners are primary care docs out there dealing with this on a daily basis with their practice. How might your findings help clarify how to do this weight management or um, obesity management or whatever you want to call it out in primary care? Well, first, I'd like to suggest that, uh, that the focus should be on patients whose BMIs have crushed the thre- crossed the threshold so that they're above 35. It's true that it's not healthy to have lower levels of obesity or to be overweight. Certainly less urgent there, and there are less cost implications in the short run for those groups. I think they should be encouraged to get their weight under control or prevent further weight gain, but we're suggesting the focus for immediate action should be for those people whose BMI is over 35. And then the question is, what can you do with them under current financing arrangements with Medicare, for example, not reimbursing for the behavioral programs very well. They, they consider patient education to be bundled with the physician fee. On the other hand, if you want to send them off for bariatric surgery, I suppose that's covered. But what I think we have to try to be creative about doing is middle range, uh, more cost-effective approaches to behavioral change in primary care where possible. And also uh, working on uh, commercial third-party payers who are starting to become more friendly towards reimbursement of weight loss programs and other types of behavioral change. And finally, the communities that we reside in are full of commercial opportunities that are pitching programs that are much more affordable if, if people are going to pay out of pocket. And we shouldn't automatically assume those things are, are ineffective because, as articles in JAMA and other places have pointed out, almost any weight loss program is effective if you stick to it. And if we try to obtain reasonable performance data on the providers in the communities that we reside in, we might be able to steer patients in a responsible way towards the the programs that seem to be working for people in our communities. Well, it seems like the next step would be to see if those folks with BMIs over 35, then the ones that do lose weight, if their utilization pattern does decrease. Is that on the board for you? Right. The database we've established allows us to follow patients over time, and we've begun doing that. We now have 
six-month outcome data, and we're going to look at the impact on utilization. I have to say that uh, most of the published literature along these lines has not been promising as far as being able to show impact on costs. So what we need to do is to show not only that weight loss reduces visits, but that weight loss can be stimulated through appropriate services. The effectiveness of uh, weight loss programs in primary care has, has not been perhaps dramatic enough yet to show a real short-term reduction in costs. But if what we're thinking about is prevention of chronic disease, the potential savings are enormous. And, and that's why I don't think we should necessarily focus just on short-term changes in, in the number of medical visits or the amount of hospital care. Do you understand right. my point there? No, that makes complete sense. So what else is in the future in terms of your work on this topic? Well, as I mentioned, we're interested in pain and how obesity is related to pain. Overall self-rated health and how people subjectively assess their well-being and how that relates to obesity and how that can be influenced by various types of weight management programs is also of a lot of interest. The connection between obesity and various kinds of disability is an interesting one. Uh, we've even gotten a study partially completed in which we're looking at self-assessed ability to climb stairs and how that relates to weight change over time. We see a lot of talk about encouraging people to go when they're at the workplace to use the stairs. I don't think people are necessarily considering the risks of sending morbidly obese patients up and down the stairways in herds. Um, <laughs> That's a great visual, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the possibilities of an avalanche are a little frightening. <laughs> Not to mention the damage to knees, and, mm. uh, the, and at least our data are starting to suggest that Stair climbing has its place, but it's not necessarily the only way that people should try to increase their physical activity during the day. And people who, who say they cannot climb stairs are not necessarily at a disadvantage when it comes to weight management. There are other things they can do. So what other things can we recommend? Do you say there are other things they can do? What else? All right. Um, take, for example, a recumbent bike. Even patients who uh, have serious knee problems or recently had knee surgery usually tell me that they can use their recumbent bike with relatively little pain. And I, I don't want to be heretical here, but one really important thing anyone can do regardless of their level of physical limitations is to eat less. <laughs> <laughs> that, that goes a long way towards weight loss. And uh, unfortunately, the bulk of the discussion these days seems to focus just on one side of the equation, and that's increasing physical activity when really everyone who knows the field knows that both are important. And if we stress physical activity too much, then we divert attention away from the real issue for most of us, which is there's no way we could ever work out enough to make up for the amount we'd really like to eat. You know, it's amazing. Uh, yesterday, actually, we taped a show with Dr. Kenneth Cooper of Cooper Clinic fame. And, you know, he's incredibly motivated, of course, uh, by fitness and health and those sorts of things. And he was telling us how when he broke his leg skiing at 76 years old that he um, continued to work out using an exercise bike just with one leg. <laughs> so certainly these things are possible, but motivation seems to be the big problem. Motivation is the key word. I, myself, when I meet with patients, I use motivational interviewing, and I believe that that may have partly influenced my answer to your comment earlier about insurance plans and differential uh, fee schedules for people who are obese, because 
motivational interviewing, at least the way I was trained, really does focus on empowering the patient and works on negotiated goals and, and tries to resolve ambivalence without imposing our healthcare professionals' view of what they ought to be doing on them. And if, if you approach it from an empowerment point of view, I think you quickly come to the conclusion that now, there are a lot of goals in life. Uh, weight control is a lifestyle choice. Being heavy is a lifestyle choice. A person could be very large and, and have the character of Mother Teresa, and I'd be the last one to say that they ought to uh, focus just on their weight. So the whole issue of what, how we structure programs and what the right outcome measures should be is something that I think needs to take into account the patient's perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing your work with us today. Thank you. We've been discussing obesity as a predictor of high utilization of medical services with our guest, Dr. Jim Rohrer from the Mayo Clinic. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you for listening. 